prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day and ask you to lead and guide as we as we open the word and, and look at this. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, we kind of got sidetracked last last Tuesday, so we're going to get to the earnest part of this this week. So we're going to do earnest. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Who has sealed us? And given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. And then Ephesians 1.14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption and purchase per possession unto the praise of his glory. And we started talking a little bit last week about earnest. And who remembers what earnest is? I, want, I always want to say deposit or adoption. <laughs> It is a kind of a deposit. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's money you give somebody to say, I am going to purchase this. It's faith money. It, it's faith a, it's money. good faith money. Yeah. You take it off the market because I am purchasing this in for whatever length of time you, you agree to it. If you don't fulfill the promise, they get to keep the earnest money. If you yeah. do, it goes down. It's part of your payment of the, of the property. Uh, so the Holy Spirit is the earnest of future payments from God to us, or, or inheritance. Uh, so we wanted to look at what is our future inheritance or payment that God is going to give us. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but you know, the first one, of course, is eternal life. Uh, and we looked at uh, last week at John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that you know the Father and Jesus Christ, his Son. Okay, so eternal life really is getting to know God. And that was about as far as we got last week, and, and we totally got sidetracked, and that is, that is just fine. Uh, but we want to look at some of these things. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's the one that gives us comfort as we go through. And that's what Jesus said, that it would be the, the comforter. We're going to turn to Ezekiel 36, and we're going to be all over the Bible today, so... Old Testament, about a about halfway through the Old Testament. Ezekiel what? Ezekiel thirty-six. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and verse twenty-seven. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So the way we keep his judgments and his statutes is because the Holy Spirit is in us. And we've talked a little bit about this on various times. We become more like God. The more he dwells us, the more, the more he fills us, the more we become like him. And the Holy Spirit is going to do that to us. He's going to come into us. He's going to almost kind of force us to do this because he's going to fill us. He's going to give us the power to be able to do this. So the Holy Spirit is the power to live righteous life and to follow God because he's going to fill us. Now, and, and Paul also tells us that the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth, dwells in us. So we actually have not just the Holy Spirit, but we have Jesus and the Father. So as we, inter, as we interact with him and we have a relationship with him, they are going to change who we are. Not because I, like I said before, not because I use a whip and a chain on myself, you know, but because I become more like him. And the more I become like him, the more I will 
And, you know, I loved Amy. Amy was sharing some things about me, how God is changing her life, and, you know, and she's seeing the, seeing the, the blessings. And again, I think she'll agree. It's not because she's sitting there, you know, striving real hard to make these changes. It's because she's in a relationship with God, and he is making the changes within her. Because I'm praying in tithing. You're praying. You're doing the things that he is telling you, and then he increases beyond, beyond those things. They we're obedient in small areas, and he helps us to be obedient in more and more areas of our life. I mean, it's been a great year. Because I started tithing in San Diego and and told God I would tithe whatever I had. I have not run out of grocery soda or coffee <laughs> the whole year. Mm-hmm. And that and that's why it's really wonderful. I mean, all we do is we surrender to God, and He makes the changes in us. And I really want people to grab hold of that knowledge. Because I have people tell me, well, how do I get, how do I change with God? You just let him change you. You get out of the way and let him change you. And I, and I hear Christians all the time saying, I'm striving, I'm working so hard to be good. No, just let God do the work. It's like the prayer I pray every morning. This is taken up on, second, on Galatians 2.20. God, please crucify my flesh and help me work your will today. Yeah, and that's a good prayer. I say it every morning. Yeah. Sometimes I say it two or three times if, it's not go- if I'm not doing well. Yeah. I like that, God. Crucify yeah. my flesh and help me live live your will. Will. Yeah. That's a good prayer, and we want to you know we want to do those things because it is Him that wants to do the work. And if I'm doing the work, He's going to say, "Well, it's worthless anyway because it's it's of the flesh." So he wants to, as you say it, you know, as, as, as was said from Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, and we want to be able to say that. My flesh gets crucified, and I let him work. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. According to this verse, he comes in, he empowers us to walk in the statutes. He puts God's statutes on our heart. In Jeremiah, we're told that he would take the stony hearts out of us and put a fleshly heart in us. Uh, you know, and it's put all through the scriptures. You know, take out the, 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 the stone and put in the, the heart of flesh, you know, the heart of soft heart toward God. And the more we do it, the more we get changed. And, you know, and, and I've just been amazed over the years for me. It's, it, it isn't me making all these changes. It's just surrendering to God and say, God, I want you to do this. Well, go ahead, God, do this. I surrender this area of my life to you. If we want to sit there and fight and battle with him and be miserable because we're battling with him, he'll allow that. You know, he's he's going to be very gentlemanly about it and say, okay, you want to fight over this? I'm not fighting. You're fighting. Uh, I'll wait for you to surrender. You'll be miserable until you surrender. You won't be happy until you surrender. And I think the most interesting thing is once God points at something and says, this needs to change. You had no problem with it before. Last you know. Tuesday in the Walmart, God forced me, God forced me to buy a $16 shower head, and he, and he made, and he let, he put it on, came in the waterman's heart, but changed it for me Wednesday morning. So I asked her, and I know God sent me to the shower head department, because I put off buying one, because they're so expensive. But it, but it really is amazing, you know. You're not you're you're going along happy, total oblivion, and then all of a sudden God points to something and says, "You need to change this." And at that point, you're unhappy about that situation until you surrender to God and let Him take it out of your life. 
And I've been there, and you know, sometimes it's not even a sinful area. It's just an area where you're wasting time, and God says, okay, time to get rid of that one. And as soon as he points it out, you're going to be miserable until you obey him. So the good thing is learn to, learn to obey him quickly and not go through long periods of misery. In my 20s and 30s, I was very stubborn. I fought God on every, everything, tooth and nail, and I would fight for six months, you know, three years, six years on one in area, uh, and just saying, God, I just don't want to give this up. I, 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 I can do this. <laughs> and fight with him and fight with him, and then finally just say, you know, okay, God, I give up. And you can almost hear, especially if you fight for a long time, you can almost hear God saying, well, it's about time. I've been waiting to take this away. And he takes it away. And it's all because we listen and we obey. The Spirit of God comes in and he changes our heart. And God will keep doing this all of our life. God's going to do this. This area, this, this, this. And he's going to keep pointing at things and, and cleaning up and sanctifying our, our life as we go forward. And it's going to be something he does for our entire lifetime. And we need to learn to be able to listen and say, Okay, God, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to just give up quickly. Well, I know my life has improved a hundred million times over because I'm no longer hiding things. That's good. John 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 14, what? 14, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth in whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, and he dwells with you and shall be in you. Again, it's another one of those statements that he dwells in us. So we want to think about this. Every time we do anything, we are bringing the Holy Spirit and God with us into everything that we do. When it's good, he's there. When it's sinful, we're dragging him into the middle of that sin. So it should really be one of those things that we listen to him and because he is going to convict us. When we're trying to do something sinful and we know it's sinful, you're going to, he's going to be yelling in our ear to not do it. And I don't know if you've been there, but I've been there where I've been hearing that spirit say, don't do this, don't do this. And usually I listen, but not always. <laughs> and all of us are going to be in that same place, but we're dragging God into whatever sin that we're committing because he indwells us. And that's kind of an awesome thought when you think about it. When you commit an, an, an iniquity, does God still forgive you if you ask him to? Yes. Because it's already been paid for. Now, will you suffer consequences for it? Most likely. But God will still forgive you because it's been paid for. Jesus, Jesus paid for all sin through the blood. So all of our sin is forgiven. Now, there's some people that walk around in, in Christian circles thinking, well, all my sin was forgiven that I had done before I accepted Jesus. And now I have to do something beyond. And that's just really weird thinking. Yeah. You know, Jesus died for all sin to be under the blood. So we can be forgiven for anything that we're doing, even if it's iniquity and we're purposing to do that. God will forgive us. Will, will there be consequences? Oh, yes. And for iniquity, there's more likely to be consequence than for just having a small sin. There'll be consequence for sin, but God may be able to say, okay, I'm going to take that away. 
But if you're walking in iniquity, you're going to pay. You'll definitely pay a consequence for it because you chose. And you knew it was wrong. And you knew it was wrong, and you chose to do that, and, and you chose to continue to do it. So there will be consequences for that kind of action. Uh, again, unless God miraculously says, and I'm going to block those. But forgiveness, yes, forgiveness is always there. And see, this is something we have to understand. That's a good point that you bring up. There's a difference between forgiveness and the consequences for the action. God can forgive us and still and will still allow consequence. Just as when we raise our kids, you know, we may discipline, we've forgiven them, we've accepted the fact that they're they're sorry, but they still will get the consequence of the discipline. Uh, you know, whether it's a spanking or restriction or whatever it is, there is a consequence for the action. And God holds the same thing for us. He, he says, you're forgiven, but there's going to be consequence. And sometimes the consequences can be severe, especially when it gets into certain er- you know, certain areas. Uh, and, and God is saying, I, want to, I do want to give you that forgiveness. I want to be able to forgive you. Know, you are forgiven. And because Jesus' blood covers the sin. And the sowing and reaping still happens. You sowed seed, you're going to re- you're going to receive the reward, you know, the the fruit of that sown seed even though you're forgiven. And, you know, one of the most drastic things are people that have sexual sins and especially for the women because they can end up pregnant and have, you know, have a re- have a result that's going to change their life for the rest of their rest of their life. Uh, so yes, consequences can be very hard sometimes. Somebody who goes out and and drinks uh, drinks or does alcohol or drugs and goes out driving and ends up hurt. Brain dead. Or brain dead in, in the in the in the case of, of Brian. But I mean, even if they just or worse yet, they kill somebody, they kill somebody and they're okay. Yeah. You know, so now they've got to pay for the rest of their life for being stupid for a few minutes or a couple hours, whatever the case might be, and they'll pay for the rest of their life. You know, will they be forgiven? Yes, God can forgive them. The people that, you know, the family of the person can, you know, that was killed can forgive them, but there will still be a consequence that they will probably be in prison for a long time. So, I mean, it is, it is out there. God forgives, but there's still consequences. And this is why we need to learn to forgive people because God forgives. We love him because he first loved us. We learn to forgive because he forgives us. And the more we learn to forgive, the better we are. Just like I said Sunday night, I don't look, I don't ask God to, to punish anybody because I don't want to see them punished. I'm very much in his heart as far as that goes. I know that they may need to be punished, but it's not in my heart to want them to be punished. It just really isn't. Even if they're really abusive and, and mean to me, I really don't want to see them punished because I'm afraid that if God starts punishing them, they, there'll be some very hard consequences. So I'll actually, many times, I'll ask God not to punish them because I don't want to see them. But I also know that sometimes people have to hit rock bottom and, and, and go through punishment and go through hard times to turn to God. And that's something I try to teach parents a lot of times. Let your kids hit rock bottom. Quit trying to enable them. Quit rescuing them. Let them hit bottom and, and have the results so that God can get their heart. And does every single child have to hit rock bottom? No. 
Most of the time, though, you have to get to rock bottom before you turn to God, unless you have a really soft heart toward God in the first place, in which case you're not usually doing the activities that need to go to rock bottom to be fixed. My oldest son did this. He got off into, into the world's way of doing things, and I was really worried about him, but he, yet at the same time I wasn't because I knew at some point God would get hold of him and bring him back. Did he go through some hard things? Yes. Did he get down to at least what his rock bottom was? Yes. And he bounced back and, and now is serving God. So we need to see that. God has got a plan for us. He, he's forgiven us, but there will be consequences. There will be coming down. I've seen parents who keep financially bailing out their kids' dumb mistakes and dumb dumb way of action, and then they, then they look back and, well, I don't have anything. Well, of course you gave it all to your kid. <laughs> Instead of letting your kids suffer for bad financial decisions. I heard the golden years. Well, they say, what does it mean by the golden years? They say, well, it means when you have any gold when you get old, they First John, chapter 2. John 2. John, first John 2. Verse 27. But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you, and you knew... You need not that any man teach you, but, but the same anointed te anointing teaches you all of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. The anointing, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us. What did we just read? 1 John 2.27. Three probably wouldn't make any sense. It did. Matter of fact, there's not a 327 in the first place. Okay. Let me read it real quick. The anointing we have received, it abides in us. And this is really something critical for us to understand. It's not saying it's not worth being taught by people, but the Holy Spirit will teach us. We'll teach everybody. And I've shared over and over, when I was a teenager, I really didn't know all the things I know about studying the scriptures. And I'd hear somebody teach something, and I'm going, and the spirit inside me would say, that wasn't correct. I, that teaching wasn't correct. And I would go, and I'd read it, and I'd look at it, and I'm going, God, I need you to show me what, what is not correct about this. What is the truth? And the Holy Spirit would give me an answer for what the meaning of that was. Then over the years, when I finally started learning how to study and pull things together, and I would study the same, same question that I'd have, and all of a sudden I'd find out that the Holy Spirit gave me the right answer, but now I could prove it. The Holy Spirit will speak to each one of us. Every one of us, if we just ask him. I, when I teach a class on how to study the Bible, I tell them the, the number one most important tool for studying the Bible is the Holy Spirit. He's the number one. Now, we've looked at all kinds of tools to be able to help study the Bible, but the Holy Spirit will give you the, the interpretation you need to learn. He's there to comfort us. He's there to teach us. All we need to do, so when you want to read your Bible and study your Bible, your very first prayer should be, 
Lord, I ask you to help me understand what I'm reading. And you're going to have insights that you've never even thought about as you, as the Holy Spirit guides you through the reading and the teaching. So just he's, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Acts 1.8, he's, he's the power for sharing. And this, that's a verse you probably know. Uh, does everybody memorize what Acts 1.8? All right, we'll go back and we'll read it then for everybody. We'll get everybody there to read it. We're going to start at 7. It is not for you to know the time or the season which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. The Holy Spirit is our power to speak for God. And this is important. I hope that you're going to experience If you haven't experienced this, I hope maybe you will in the very near future. When you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden you start realizing that it's not really you talking anymore. It's your voice. It's your, 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 your throat, your, your vocal cords. But it's not really you. And you start realizing that it's the Holy Spirit speaking through you. Jesus told the disciples... Don't worry about what you're going to answer when they drag you into courts because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. Oftentimes when you're teaching, or, or as a teacher, you'll go along and all of a sudden you realize you're no, longer, you're no longer teaching. It's the Holy Spirit working through you that it's teaching. Uh, when you're witnessing, as has happened lots of times when I'm witnessing, I'll be listening to myself speaking and I'm going, wow, I didn't even know I knew this stuff. And verses are flowing, and the words are flowing, and, and it's eloquent, so I know it's not me at that point, because I know that I don't have eloquence. And so we want to look at this. The Holy Spirit is what gives us the power to speak, and he gives us the power to walk correctly. And he is, you know, he is our enabler to do things that God wants done. And again, it comes down to my flesh being crucified and God working through me. And we want to be able to get to that place that we are right there looking at the power of God. The Holy Spirit fills us. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into us, makes us a new creation, and we now have the power to, to speak, to understand the word of God. And you probably remember when you first got saved and all of a sudden the Bible started really opening up, and maybe you read it before, and you go, man, this is a crazy book. What's this all mean? And then you get saved, and the Holy Spirit is right there helping you, and it's like, wow, this book, this book means something. Same word, same book, but a different, different teacher helping you understand it. Uh, let's see, Job 35.11. Right before Psalms. Job 35, 11. Who teaches us more than the beast of the earth and makes us wiser than the, than the fowls of the heaven? Uh, let's see. But there is, let's start at verse 10. But there is none where, where, where is, but none safe where is my maker who gives me songs in the night, who teaches me, teaches us more than the beast of the earth and the, who makes us wiser than the fowls of heaven. 
There, I, there they cry, but none give answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God will not hear vanity, neither will the Almighty regard it. The Holy Spirit, God, gives us the answers. This is, this is one of the things we look at it. We look at this world, and do you realize that without Judaism and Christianity, there would probably be no science, real science out there? Because when you have a God who is capricious, who just does what he feels like doing, there is no order. And if you think about this, if you've ever looked into mythology, any mythology, but Roman and Greek is usually taught in America, the gods just got mad at people and got mad at each other, and that caused storms, and that caused death, and you know their answer for anything was that the gods got mad. And so why would you look for order in a God who just gets mad and causes problems. When we look at God, we go, here's a God of order. He's got order in life. He's got order in the way we walk. Okay, maybe there's order in his creation. And all of a sudden, you start looking for the order in creation. And science was developed out of that desire to look for order in God's creation. Many of the great scientific discoveries came from the Bible itself. Oceanography and the currents of it, the, the father of it was looking in the Psalms and it said, and God controls the paths of the seas. And he goes, well, are there really paths of the seas? So he went to look for the paths of the seas and he found the currents. Uh, the Bible teaches us that the earth was round. So the Bible has always taught the earth is round. The Greeks discovered the earth was round by mathematics. When Columbus sailed the ocean, the people who were understanding and, and schooled knew that the earth was round. Now the common person didn't understand that the earth, earth was round because of, as we all know, you look out in the distance, you don't see a round, round earth, but mathematics proved that the world was, was round. And they knew exactly how big the earth was in its roundness. It was never common knowledge, it was never, you know, because education wasn't popular back then. The very elite had ed education. So Columbus knew that the world was round. No, he assumed that he believed that the world was round. He had to prove it. Uh, and so his sailors, though, didn't. And he had a lot of trouble with his sailors as they're sailing on and on and on. But the world knew that the earth was round. The, the educated, the, the theologians, you know, the great people who studied the Bible knew. The people who knew mathematics knew. And it was not a problem. Everything is in the scriptures. You, we, everything produces after its kind. The, the, the water cycle is in the Bible. The water comes down, flows to the sea, goes back up again, and comes back down. The nitrogen cycle is in there where, some, where, where individuals die, they decay, re replenish the earth, and come back again in life. All these cycles that have just been discovered in the last two to three hundred years, all in the scriptures. All in the scriptures, and people ignored them. And it's amazing to me, how, even when I watch some of the older shows and stuff, how, how they quote the Bible, usually out of context, but it really is an example of how people had a Bible, they even knew the Bible well, but still didn't understand it. There's, there's the example of George Washington got sick, and so they would... So they came in and they used leeches on him to suck all the blood out of him. And yet, and right next to his bed, and he was a very strong Christian, was the Bible that said the life of man is in the blood. And if they had just read the Bible, 
They wouldn't have taken out all of his life and basically killed him, trying to, trying to take out the fever, which they believed at that time was in the blood. So they figured if they take out the blood, they're taking out the fever. <coughs> well, in most cases, they took the fever out of somebody permanently. Well, usually at that time, they didn't understand transfusions. They just took the blood outside and take the fever out. And many people died because they of the leeches. Any comments as we go along? Moving on. Yeah, but they're using them for the right reasons now. Because there are there are some good things in it. They're also using maggots in their wounds a lot of times because they eat the dead flesh and, and they count how many went in and they pull them all out and irrigate it. Yeah. Um, it has a strong purpose, which is kind of amazing that that we're going back to some of the things that we got out of. And I'm wondering if God didn't tell people how to use it in the original part so that it was being used correctly and then kind of they forgot how to use it and, and made it bad. Hey, Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And if you get into Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus, you've gone too far. Titus 2, verse 2. Oh, Titus. Excuse oh, me, Colossians. <laughs> I, started, I started telling her about it. If you've gone to Titus, you've gone too far. Colossians 2, 2. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all righteousness, all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the and of the Father and of Christ. The Spirit's job is to give us assurance. Assurance of what? Our salvation and our future reward. <coughs> if you've ever been in a place where you've questioned your, your salvation, it's the Holy Spirit that brings it back and says, here's what I've done for you. Here's how you've been changed. Here's, here's your new life. I'm the proof of your new life. And we, you know, we want to be able to sit down sometimes and say, am I saved? But we don't want to be questioning it to the point where it freezes us. Uh, and once you've answered that question, am I saved? You don't need to ever worry about it again. Because we're even told in, by Paul to examine yourself that, you're, that you be in the faith. Because it is so easy for us to walk in the flesh and take some wrong turns. So we always want to look back you know, and say, am I walking the way God wants me to walk? Am I walking according to the Spirit? Am I walking by faith and not by sight? And that is, that is what we have to do, walk by faith. And walking by faith is scary. It's, it's hard because there is no vision to see. It's just I'm doing what I believe God wants me to do. And there's no assurance of it. And we all have faith. Every one of us sat down in one of the chairs in this room. We had faith that the chair was going to hold us. <coughs> Why? Because they've always had in the past, so we expect them to hold us in the future. Now, there, there are chairs that I won't sit in. The, the chairs that are, that are these events, little white chairs that are, look rickety, I won't sit in those chairs because my experience has told me that the chair is going to fall apart when I sit on it. So I go, okay, 
three have fallen apart, I'm not going to try a fourth time. No wicker rock, rock, rockers. I don't like wicker rockers either. Those don't hold wicker, me either. Wicker rockers. We used to yeah, an exercise. I, don't, I can't remember what class it was we did where a person stand behind the other one and you fall mm -hmm. and shut your eyes. Faith, uh, yeah, have yeah. faith in the people behind you. Yeah. That's kind of scary. It can be. Yeah. It can very much be. I can always tell when <coughs> When I get to, if I'm not in the Word every day, I get more, it doesn't take long to get back into thinking of the world and how things just. And it is amazing how fast we can get back into yeah. the world's thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, you've walked along good, you've walked along good, and all of a sudden you think, okay, I can do this on my own somehow, and the next thing you know, yeah. you're doing things that you didn't even think you'd ever do or that you yeah. thought you had victory over. And almost every single time it goes back to just what you said. Yeah. I have not been in the Word. I have not been in yeah. church. I have not been listening to, to God's Word being taught. And it is very amazing how quickly the flesh will take back over. And it will happen with any of us. I don't care how long you've been walking with God, it will happen. Because anytime you think that you are going to be able to do this and I don't need God, God very quickly shows you you need him. And it's the same thing we talked about. I get used to God's blessing in my life, and I start thinking that this is normal. I take it for granted. I quit giving thankful. I quit being thankful for it. God will say, okay, let me show you what you have without me blessing. And he'll just pull back just a little bit and say, here, now you go through what life should be like without my blessing. And it is amazing when you get there and all of a sudden you go, oh God, please help me. Help me. I realize I need you. And it is a blessing just to get up in the mornings, to be able to still have life, to still have air to breathe. Yeah. You know, will you realize what a, a miraculous thing it really is just to have air to breathe? You know, there are people who have so much trouble breathing that they really know what it means to have air to breathe. There's nothing worse than fighting for a breath of air. Yeah. And God gives us air. He gives us warmth. He gives us He gives us the hope of a, a new day every day. You go to bed at night and know, know that the sun's going to come up the next morning or believe that the sun's going to come up the next morning. And no reason why it has to. God could just take his hand off the sun for a moment and, and let, it dis you know, let it be gone. He created it. He can get rid of it. So hit the assurance. We want to look at uh, 1 John 5. And we'll be in verse 4. I'm going to start at 1 because I like, I like chapter 5 anyway. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is, is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that be, begat loveth him also that has begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. I like that. His commandments are not grievous. Because he is living in us. He's given us the power to live like him. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world and is the victory and this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. 
This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is by the Spirit, it is the Spirit that bears witness because the Spirit is truth. So the Holy Spirit is our victory. He gives us victory. I want to point out, you know, who is he that overcometh? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And this verse written by John also is the key when you go through Revelation 1 through 3 and it says, he that overcometh, that's all those that are saved that are overcomers. Okay? This verse is the key to the seven churches where he says, he that overcomes, he's talking about Christians. Okay? Because we are overcomers. Maybe not Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we don't let the Spirit give us the victory, but the Spirit was there to give us victory, to overcome the evil, to overcome the evil in our life, overcome the evil that comes our way. He makes us victorious. And I love the fact that we are victorious through the Holy Spirit. As long as we don't walk in the flesh and we walk in the Spirit, we are victorious. We are overcomers. We will not be defeated as long as the Holy Spirit is running our life at that point. Now, if I don't let the Holy Spirit run my life and I'm in, and I'm in the flesh, I will, be, I will suffer defeat. It's, it would be like the knight going out without, without his armor and, and saying, okay, I'm ready to fight. And he's fighting this other knight in armor. Uh, could he win? Yeah, possibly, but not likely. You know, the first blow is going to crush him. Because he doesn't have the armor to protect him. <coughs> the Holy Spirit is our armor. The Holy Spirit is our protection. With him, in him, we will be victorious. First Peter. Three. Chapter three. Chapter three. And that's not the right verse. It makes no sense. So we're not going to use first Peter. We're going to use first John. I'm looking at that verse, and that makes no sense. So we're not going to sit there at that verse. 1 John 1. 1 John 3. Verse 3. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Let's go back and get the context. Starting at verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Wherefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we in the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and and every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. The Holy Spirit is going to give us the hope. And that is what we have. We have a hope. And this isn't a I wish, maybe, hope for like we use in, Ameri- in English, it is, I have a confident expectation. I have a confident expectation that I'm going to become like him because he's promised it. He has promised it. And it amazes me how many people have very little expectation and trust in God in the day-to-day activities of their life, and yet they want to hope in God's truthfulness in, in the future. God, I, I, have, I have confidence and faith that you're going to take me to heaven and make life good. 
but don't try to tell me how to run my life down here. Yeah, and that, that's what a lot of Christians do. God, I'm just going to live my life here, and um, when I get to heaven, I, I believe that you're going to take me, but I have no faith. I have faith in the future, but I don't have faith in today. And God's saying, I want to have today as well. I want to help you with today. I want to bless you. Just do what I ask, and we are you will be blessed. We, our proverb class goes through this. You know, he teaches us how to walk, and the more we walk according to the God's way, the better our life gets because a lot of it is because I'm not suffering consequences for doing wrong. Because I'm learning to walk the way he wants me to walk. I'm getting consequences for walking, which we usually call rewards or <laughs> blessings. But those are the consequences for walking correctly. And I'm getting rewarded because I am walking the way he wants me to, to walk. Or I walk in the way that I think is good, and I get the negative consequences for it making my life miserable. So the more we walk with God, the easier our walk gets because we're not being attacked by all the bad consequences for wrong decisions, and it makes my decisions in the future easier. And the more I walk in his way, the easier life gets to be walking because I'm re getting rewarded for making good decisions. And I'm not facing all the bad consequences. And we talked you know, earlier about, you know, consequences for alcohol and drugs. Even if you didn't have anything but got, you know, maybe you didn't have any consequence you think. Now you went out on a night on the town and, and you made it home and you woke up in your own bed that morning and, and didn't do anything wrong. You still wasted a lot of money and you get to the next day and say, wow, I don't have the money to pay my bills because I just spent $30 on, you know, on alcohol yesterday. That's a consequence that's going to have consequence in the rest of, rest of it. Much less if something did happen, you got pulled over and insurance costs and, and court costs and you know all of a sudden your, your little night on the town cost you and you're going to be financially having hardship. Uh, go out and have, you know, walk in anger or lying and have social consequences where nobody trusts you or or, or, or on their guard around you because you're an angry person, they're afraid to say anything to you, or, you know, there's consequences for all that negative action. If we walk with God and we're trustworthy, we're honest people, we're, we're people that they want to be around because we're kind to people, there's consequences to that that are good consequences that people start responding to us. Many lives have been changed just because you walk the way God wants you to walk and they look at your life and they go there's something different about that person. I want what they have. And that's an important aspect of our walk. So there's consequences just by making good and bad decisions. And the more good decisions we make, the better our life goes as a whole. People trust us. People want to be with us. Uh, and they're looking at us in a way that is very positive. I'm just picking one verse out of each of the categories. I had five to six verses on each of these categories, but I don't want to spend all day on each category. Galatians 4. Verse 6. 
And because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We are part of a family. When God, when we get saved, we become his children. He adopts us into his family. The Holy Spirit comes into us to, to help us. He, he sends his spirit into our hearts, and, and he's in allowing us to cry, Abba, Father. It's literally Abba. It means kind of daddy. It's father, but it's very kind of a more of an intimate. intimate. It's like daddy or dad. It's not just father. Uh, my stepmom always wanted to be called mother. It never, never sounded good to me. You know, I don't know why she wanted to be called mother, but it irritated her because I could never. I had no com problem calling her mom, but the, the idea of calling her mother Probably just was, didn't yeah. sound right to me. It sounded too formal, too, yeah. too, too, uh, too harsh. You know, and this is what this word "Abba Father," "Daddy Father," or "Dad Father." It's that that, that intimate. You know, father is the you know, very you know formal. <laughs> Address for your for your dad, you know, it's, you know, and you know you could call him dad or daddy, or mom or mommy. You know, it's that there's the intimacy of that. that and but we have a family. We, you know, for those who don't have not had a family, the idea of having a family is a big deal. And a church, you know, and a church as being used as the people. When you come into a good, loving relationship with the church. And all of a sudden, you've got family. I loved it because I used to do a little bit of traveling, not a whole lot when I was a manager, but every once in a while, they'd send me someplace. And being able to just go into a good Bible-teaching church was just like walking into family, and you know, you got taken care of, and you had it was just you got brothers and sisters, and and everybody right there. You walked into a church, and here's your family. You know, just like a, just like you were back home, and here you go, you go out on a trip, and there's family. I went back east for my son's wedding, and there was family at the church, talking to them, interacting with them, a family that's all over the world. My dad used to do lots of traveling. He'd go places uh, around the world, and there would be family. You may not even be able to talk to them because you don't know the language. But the Holy Spirit is interacting with you, and you know that you're you've got family and you're loved. And and my dad told a story one time of talking to somebody by using their Bibles and reading different verses <laughs> to get there. And that's been told by different missionaries as well. How they would use use the Bible. Of course, you have to know your Bible very well and know where it is and get them on the same same book. But the idea of having a family. And for some people, that means a lot more than for others. I, I had a family growing up, so a church family is important, but it's not you know, critical. But I've met people who didn't really have a family life growing up. And when they find a church and really, really tie into a church and have a family, it means a lot to them. And we want to be part of that family. We want to be welcoming. We want to show that love to everybody. All right, John, chapter 3. Verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Everlasting life. This word for life is Zoe life. It, it literally, when you when it talks about Zoe life, it's talking about that that life that's in Christ, that's full. There's a couple of different kinds of life. Part of it, one one that's used is bios life. When you've studied biology, it's the study of life, and it goes plants, animals, humans to a degree, and it's just a life. An eternal life is one that is full. God has filled our life and it is complete. That's when you get saved and all of a sudden everything, you found what is missing in your in, in life. And everybody in the world is looking for God. They don't necessarily know that they're looking for God, but they're looking for God because we were built, we were created to need God. And it started right from the very first one. Adam and Eve walked with God. They had a full life walking with God. And then they sinned. And they knew all of a sudden there's a hole in their life. Because they were dead. They were dead spiritually until the sacrifice and following with God. We as humans, when we first, before we get saved, we, we're looking for things. And, and if you listen to people's testimony, usually it is they're looking for God somewhere in something, in many things. People will get into drugs and alcohol trying to fill that emptiness. They'll try to get into relationships trying to fill the, the emptiness. They'll get into being a workaholic to fill the emptiness. They'll, they'll try to get into extreme sports. And I think that's a big driving part of extreme sports is that they want to feel something. You know, the idea of pushing it to the edge that I might lose my life, you know, because I'm pushing it to the edge. But we will try to fill that emptiness with something. And it never works. Many people get into religion. And remember, we've defined Christianity as a relationship, not as a religion. They'll get into religion, looking for rules, because they think they want to find God. And they'll get into the rules and say, okay, maybe if I follow enough rules, I'll find God. And it doesn't fulfill them. But when they get saved, when you get saved, all of a sudden that empty spot in your life is filled and there's that joy of having it filled because you have now got true life God's life indwelling in us we're our spirit born and brought forth Revelation 19 I told you we're going to be all over the scriptures today Seven. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. We, the church, is, are the bride of Christ. This is something we want to be able to look at. This is an important thing for us. We are his bride. And the Lamb is Christ. And the Lamb is Christ. We are being designed with being treated as the bride of Christ. In Ephesians, the husbands are told to love their wife as, 
Christ loves the church and gave himself for her to present a to wash her in the blood to present her as a uh, let's read it here for some reason I cannot come up with the right words today it's Ephesians Verse 26, uh, chapter 5, 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the word by the word, that he might present to it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. He sanctifies his bride to present it to himself without blemish. We are the bride of Christ. Which is kind of strange for men to say, but it is it is what it is. And the whole picture of marriage is to picture the church and Christ coming together in, in for all of eternity. And it's a very precious thing, which is which is why Satan wants to destroy family so bad. Because he knows that the family is that picture of Christ. If he can destroy families, he can destroy the picture. If he can destroy the, the image of a father, he can destroy the, the, the picture of who God is to, to people. He, is, he hates people. He hates the images that are brought out to show the relationship between the father and us. He is out to destroy any of those pictures. He's out to destroy the, the submission of children to their parents. And he's been, been doing a very good job in it lately. And it's, it's sad. The world is trying to push it. Uh, I get very angry at some of the commercials and, and activities I see on TV where the kids are the ones that are, you know, are smart. They're, there's one commercial, uh, you know, for one of the cable networks where, where he's watching his movie and the, the wife says, are you watching a movie? No. And then you get this look from his wife, which is bad enough. And then you get the really snotty look from the daughter. And it's like, that is... Because you, know, you can see in that look, it's total disrespect. Mm -hmm. Total disrespect from the daughter, and yet that's what's going on in this world today. The look, the, the, the disrespect for any authority. And it, it started with family and, you know, and government and everything else. It started in the, you know, for America anyway, in the 60s, question authority. Started with government, then it started getting into families, and you know, now it's everywhere. You know, it's a sad thing because police officers are afraid to stop anybody anymore. You know, they're, they're automatically ready to put cuffs on somebody when they question them because of the lack of respect of authority. I came from a generation where you got pulled over, it's yes, sir, and, right. and very respectful. Whether they're right or wrong, you were respectful to them. And, but today's world, there's no respect out there. We see it when we deal with kids, with kids you know, that have no respect for adults at all. They have no respect for their teachers, no respect for anybody, because they have been taught from the world that nobody has authority over them, and they cannot punish them, they can't do anything to them, and so there is no respect. And that lack of respect for uh, from kids rolls right on up the up the chain of chain chain to anybody who thinks they have authority as they grow up. And Satan has done a great job destroying respect and authority. And you know what? If you read the scriptures, the Bible is full of authority and respect authorities. And we talked about it with the husband and the wife. We've talked about it with the kids, with their parents. We've talked about it with 
workers to their to their bosses. We talk about it about citizens to the government. Satan has worked on destroying all of this authority structure. Why? Because he's trying to destroy God's way of doing things in people's minds. And well, I'm not saying that everybody who's done that directly listens to Satan, but Satan is the one that is coordinating. He is the the mastermind running all the different paths and all the different ways together. He's the master strategist behind it all. He is the one that is working on making everybody not see where they what's going on. Uh, when when you play sport, uh, <coughs> chess or something, you know, it's an idea of out outthinking your opponent, outmaneuvering your opponent, uh, and Satan is good at it. And he, and he moves a piece over here, he moves a piece over here, he moves, and all of a sudden all the pieces come together, and it's like, here's that big attack. And nobody saw it coming because it came from so many different directions at the same time, and all of a sudden everything is destroyed. And we see that happening over and over and over again. And we see it uh, in politics as well. You know, create enough chaos that nobody can figure out what's going on. And when we come out of the end, you know, they're, they're playing with all the chaos and your plan goes right through the middle and we see it happening. And we see it in, in business too. They do the same thing. Create a lot of chaos, create a lot of di diversions and then you attack from another a totally unexpected way and it was your plan all along while you had them working. And the same thing in Battlefield. You put a small force that's going to be killed, <laughs> and you know they're going to be killed, but they're, they're your diversion, and then you come around behind, behind from another direction that's not expected. And Satan is a great strategist. He, he knows how to fight the battle. And he's been around a long time and knows what he's doing. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, that he is the earnest of so many great things that are coming, coming to us that you've promised us. Help us just understand those and see those, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.